Hello everyone and welcome to another BAFTA event. My name is Ian Hayden-Smith and I'm delighted to be here today uh, with some of the cast and crew of Calm With Horses. So we have um, quite a group with us today. First of all, I'd like to welcome the director of Calm With Horses, Nick Rowland. Hi, Nick. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, also, we have the writer of the film, Joe Murta. Hello, Joe. Hello. And Dan Emerson, the producer. Hey, Dan. Hi, everyone. And we've got two of the actors from the film, Neve Algar and Cosmo Jarvis. Hi, guys. Hello. Okay, welcome you all. Cosmo, I think you just need to take your sound off. That's, uh, I think you've currently got it <laughs> muted at the moment. Yeah, sorry. Um, okay, Hello. welcome. Um, I'm going to start with uh, you, Nick and Joe, first, just to talk about the origins and what it was that attracted you to Colin Barrett's short story. Um, so I, I found the uh, Young Skins' his collection um, in my final year of film school, which would have been in about 2014. Um, and I was just, I was writing my graduation film at the time and doing quite a bad job. So I was just trying to read as many good short stories as possible. And um, I just fell in love with Come With Horses in particular because, I mean, it had the, the skeleton of the kind of genre thriller, but um, there was a lot of heart and emotion to it. And I really sort of cared for Arm. And I, and I just enjoyed spending time with all of the characters, no matter how sort of, um, uh, sort of uh, questionable things they get up to. I, I they had a sort of eccentricity to them and a, a, a kind of um, a humour, a sort of dark humour to the piece as well. So it felt like quite a rich, rich story. And um, the kind of contrast between Arne's professional life and and the way he's so violent, but has such a kind of um, sort of a, a sort of sensitive relationship with his son, I thought was an interesting contrast. And Joe, uh, because I know you two have worked together um, previously on shorts, can you talk about your involvement? Yeah, so the, a big part of it was that that previous um, work I had done with Nick at, at film school. We worked on a couple of short films together and I think we had just clicked very well. I think we, we had a nice kind of a shorthand way of communicating when it came to film and um, and so a big part of me for getting involved with Palm with Horses was just a chance to continue that relationship in, in a feature film environment rather than, rather than short film. And secondly, it was, it was just all about the book. It was all about Colin Barrett's writing. Um, I was just completely drawn to the world. I have, you know, my family's from the same part of the world. Um, and I could just really see myself in it. I could see, I could see a way into the, into the story. Yeah. And was, was transferring a short story in, into a, a screenplay I, I, I've heard some writers talk about the fact it's sometimes easier to take a short story than it is to take a novel because you, you have what's essentially a skeleton rather than the full body. Yeah. And you can build it up yourself. That's, I've also heard that and I am assuming it'd be true, but I've never, I've never adapted a full novel, you know, but, uh, but it was definitely, um, what was brilliant about adapting this in particular was, was the fact that it was a, you know, a short story or, or rather a novella. Um, meant that yes there was, there was a framework there was a scope in there and there was still room to add myself into it and you know make it a little more plot friendly you know uh, cinema friendly screen friendly at the same time um there's so much richness to, to colin's writing that it 
it also even when you're making stuff up or or you know creating new characters or or new situations it all it all it, it's, it's i'd imagine it's easier to do in in this case than it was with anything else because his writing is so rich it's it's not hard to to imagine new characters and new situations that are part of this this same world you know i've said it a bunch of times in the past but i, I still feel like any of the additions we made, any new stuff we made up, still weirdly belongs to Colin, because I, it was all just so inspired by not just the uh, by by Calm with Horses, but by the entire Young Skins collection. Now, Dan, I gather that you were interested in adapting this at exactly the same time, and that's sort of indirectly how you came on board. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, the, the, no. Nick sent it to me originally, right. and. Um, so that was that he sent it to me, and as he said, he was at, he was at the NFTS, and he said I found a short story which is which is really cool. And I started looking into the rights, and um, and separately have been sent to Fassbender and Connor at DMC, who I didn't work for at the time, and they they were looking into um, into optioning it, and and as a result of us sort of being in competition on it, I ended up joining up with them, and uh, we optioned it together as the first thing that that we did. So yeah. It was credit to Nick. Nick found it and sent it over for sure. Um, I want to come back to you in a moment to talk about the logistics yeah. of uh, funding, but um, Neve and Cosmo, um, when you got the script, what was your, your first reaction to it? Perhaps Neve, um, you answer first. Uh, I just love the script. I, I was aware of obviously Colin's, uh, Colin Barrett's novella. So I had loved what they had developed into a feature. You know, you've, you've got such flawed and complex characters that really captured this rural setting that I hadn't seen portrayed in Ireland. So it was a mixture of like a Western meets, it was kind of untimely. And then I just, you know, I, I fell in love with Ursula. You know, she's, it was the first time that I read a really strong, powerful woman who's, who never actually loses her focus throughout the whole story. And I thought that was really refreshing. And the fact that I knew that Cosmo was also attached and Barry was at the time, I knew it was going to be really special. Cosmo. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I just love, really like, love, love the script. And, and like Nick said about the eccentricity that came across in the writing and how that all felt unusually to me at the time it felt un un unusually like coherent with itself like in a way that a lot of other stuff that I had read hasn't but you always sort of want it to and that was great just the language basically and um and uh and, and the sort the I I hadn't read the book first but so I only read the script and then I I, I so it, it just I, I I the, the format and the simplicity of the journey and what was at the heart of it the, the simplicity of what was at the heart of it was was really nice to read um in terms of in terms of the character of arm when you read him on the page um did you have a very very specific idea of what he would be when you went in to have conversations with nick about the character and how much you brought with you to it uh no but i i didn't know for a long time it took a lot of messing around with and experimentation and, and big like lots of conversations and and stuff but I guess initially I just I, I was I, I, her, it, it felt like that the the quality of the words it, I, it was a not, seemed like a what a nice challenge to try and take words like that and then and then and then give it um, like kind of throw them away I guess 
not not in a throwing away kind of way, but but uh, I I don't really know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I knew that realism would have been important in in trying to make it executable and and you know plausible, especially something that was in, as eccentric as some of the characters and happenings in the narrative. Neve, um, you just mentioned about Ursula. Um... I found really interesting that she is someone who has direction. She knows exactly what she wants. She is on this journey and all these things happen to her. But the fact is she knows the, the destination she wants, uh, wants to reach. Um, I, watching it again today, I, I found it really interesting. I thought this is a character you could play many different ways. Um, and it could be a character that perhaps on one level could be, have, you might have less empathy for. Uh, than you do. And I was just wondering, as you were thinking about Ursula, about how you'd portray her, sort of what went through your mind about uh, the scenes that you're in and whether you always knew exactly what she would be. Um, that's interesting you should say that, because I know that there could have been a version where she could be this nagging, I told you so, ex-girlfriend who could have come across kind of, not villainous, but you'd be less empathetic, but I think it was just making sure that the choices of what she's doing is, it was always grounded in the truth. And, um, you know, her, her main focus was always going to be Jack. And, but, you know, she's, I just wanted to make sure that she wasn't, you know, there was more going on. You, you know, you read the script and I think what is really the best part about being an actor is that you just keep on adding more and more layers and kind of secrets that, you never really share with the audience it's just always there and I think that there's a there's a there was always a lot more going on with Ursula than than what was on the page and I think it was just trying to develop that um between her and Arm and I think that's you know it's a lot of the a lot of what is going on with her is is not said and it's she's got a lot of patience as well which uh, um she you, you see you know she's there's a lot of like obstacles that come across throughout her story you know she does like you know she is someone who could have uh, gone down a different path to than what arm has it struck me watching the way that you you play her that what, what's essential is no matter where she's gone in subsequent years you still have to see the the ursula that the arm had fallen in love with in the first place yeah. that's what you do that really really well you get this sense of of the caring side of her, not just through her son, but just as a person. Yeah, well, I think that when she has Jack, he reminds her so much of what she fell in love with, with Arm. And I think that's something that she's always going to be tied with. And she can't help but deny the fact that he's always going to be a part of their lives. And I think that's she's just kind of fighting for for that. And, you know, there's this there has to be a chemistry between the two of them in order for for him to have something to fight for throughout the story. And, and that's what you, as an audience, that's what you're kind of hoping for is that he could see that, that rainbow at the end. I've got a um, question from one of the viewers and please do send in your questions. I'm, sh I'm sure our guest today would rather hear from you than, than me. Uh, this is from Andy Whip. How was Arm's sofa phone call scene handled? Um, was it similar in the short story? Um, because it was beautifully performed and incredibly moving. Uh, Joe, perhaps we can get you to start with that. Uh, in, in the short story, it was, um, there was a similar kind of phone conversation that happened slightly earlier uh, in the story when, when you know, an arm had a, 
a sense that things might be about to go wrong rather than, you know, in the film where they're in, uh, that effect is a little more definite. Um, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was a, how would I explain it? I suppose in the, in the short story, it was a, it was a little more um, played down and we, what we did is we expanded it. And then of course, Nick worked, worked with these guys to, to deliver it in the way that he did. Nick. Can you talk about that scene as well? Yeah, it was, um, obviously we decided to do it in one long take. Um, it felt, um, it felt important to stay, uh, to stay with arm for the duration, um, because for the whole third act of the story, arm is kind of starved of seeing Ursula and Jack. So I thought, uh, the emotion would be stronger if, if um, you know, it, it was it was not a conversation that was sort of cutting back and forth. We sort of stayed in arms point of view. Um, and that obviously put a lot of pressure on Cosmo um, um, uh, because it, it is, it's the, you know, without that scene, we don't really have an ending or we don't, you know, that, that is the ending of the film. Um, but, um, at, you know, it's one of... I think we did like eight eight takes or, or so, um, and um, it was, it, it, you know, de we definitely got to the end of that day being relieved that we got it. But I went into the day being completely confident that Cosmo would would nail it because, um, like I say, uh, from, from when from the first time I met Cosmo, it felt very clear to me that he understood the spine of who this character was, um, and. Uh, especially on an emotional level. So, um, that, yeah, I, it was, I can't, I, it's all a bit of a blur, really. It was, I think it was around the middle of the shoot. Um, and we, uh, I think we used, we did eight takes and I think we used take seven um, from memory. So, but each, each take was brilliant. So it was, it was a hard choice. I was going to say, Cosmo, did you, um, with your, pro and I know process is not necessarily always the easiest thing to talk about, but, um, not just with that scene, but, but with the development of the character as a whole. Did, when you were approaching scenes, I'm, I'm not sure how much of the film were, um, was improvised or how many of the lines were improvised, but could you talk about how you came to the scenes, particularly the longer takes? Um, well, yeah, that's a difficult, that's a difficult. I mean, so it's always different. Every scene is different. Isn't it? Uh, I don't know, just always trying to come at it from a from a point of view of trying to root it in some sort of plausible reality despite the the craziness of what appears to be happening to these people. Um, um it, it just varies depending on the scene. Sometimes sometimes they just sort of fall into place and other times you, you have to sort of, you know, toil a bit more, I guess. Yeah, one of the things that really um, struck me when I was watching the film is the way that you use your voice, not just the fact that you have the, a, quite a brilliant accent. Um, I think a friend was completely surprised. An Irish friend didn't, didn't even realise that you weren't Irish. Um, but it's, it's also the softness of your voice. There is that incredible contrast between your sheer physicality in the film and the way that you speak. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I, I um, because he didn't say a lot in, in the, the the when I first read it. Like Arm's dialogue is, it's um, what there is of it. It's it's quite to the point, 
and and it's it's in and out and and i i knew that i was just trying to imagine what if i had heard those words coming out of somebody from that sort of place with that kind of background as described then i was just sort of trying to imagine what they might sound like <laughs> that's about it but yeah i do i just love voices and that um nick i've got a question from george who asks um what do you look for in scripts when choosing something to direct um uh, i would say well i'm i'm a very um uh, I like all different types of uh, films and genres, so I'd never want to kind of get um, get stuck into one type of story. Um, but I think I'm not, a, I wouldn't really describe myself as an intellectual filmmaker. I'm definitely someone who's driven, I'm, I'm quite sensitive and I'm quite emotional. And for me, a lot of what I'm looking for is just feeling, um, feeling for a character. And I, like I say, that's that's the one thing that, struck me um, about Calm With Horses is actually, I, I was less interested in making, a, 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 you know, I've never had any ambitions to make a, a gang movie or like a, a gangster movie. Um, and that's not what attracted to me, attracted me to Calm With Horses. It was the emotion I felt at the end for the sort of tragedy of Arm. And, and, and I, you know, in, even in the book, the, the, the phone call, uh, in its form there still made me cry and I, I really it just um, I felt for the guy so much um, so that's generally I'm looking for that heartbeat that kind of emotional punch somewhere in a story um, and um, it was so it was you know it was so exciting to see what Cosmo did with it on the day and it was great because we it, we wanted it to be as as real as possible so Neve Neve was actually there on set that day as well, and they're actually on the phone together at the same time. So it's a real I was behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, right over and there. What, what 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 really touches me about it is, you know, you could play that scene in a very sort of emotional way, or in a way where it really feels like you're you're reaching for the emotion and trying to. You know, it was important that the audience hopefully don't feel manipulated too much, and and there's such a, a minimal kind of everydayness to the phone call, which is what I find so emotional, and just the exhaustion in um, in Cosmo's performance, I I really love. Cosmo, were you going to say something then? Or? I was just it just reminded me of something that I failed to elaborate on earlier. I was just going to say that like maybe one of the things that I was going to say, in addition to the things that were attractive about the script in the first place, was 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 the emotional undercurrents throughout everything. Obviously, I I meant to say that, but I didn't say it before. I just meant that the 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 fact that the the sentiment at the root of the whole story was was the, the you know as well as the writing and everything, but the whole mashup was the most appealing thing because it was such a delicate simple and delicate thing that that um that you know everybody has things like that in their life but to to try and not show these kinds of like what did you what you what nick what word did you use to describe the phone call just then i forgot what you said just then um i, I can't remember <laughs> uh, but there was something like every, very everyday about it the, the everyday the everyday quality of it was um was something really uh, that I, I, I hadn't seen very often when reading stuff that when it's written that well and, and how, how it, is, it does seem totally viable and throwaway even on the page. Um, yeah, that's what I meant to say. 
There is something very interesting about the um, the, the writing, Joe, in the in the way that we, you know, every day, as, as Cosmo is saying, we, we react probably with more than two or three emotions at any point in time. And one of the things I found really interesting with this, a lot of the scenarios in the film is that I was on the edge of my seat, not because I thought there was going to be a moment's violence, but because I really genuinely didn't know how each of the characters was going to react because there was this sense that their emotions were so complex. Um, was that easy to put down on the page? And then perhaps Nick, from page to screen. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy that you say that, obviously. Um, I think it's kind of like the accidental result of, of just all of us working together. Do you know, I think, I think you know, if left to my own devices, I, I tend to write stuff that's slightly more comical or darkly comical. And, you know, I like to use subgenres and things like that. And then Nick, as he said, he's, he's, he's more interested in, in the emotions of the characters. And I think we gel quite well together. And he had Dan to the mix, you had Cosmos to the mix, Neve to the mix. You know, I think, I think it's just a kind of a, uh, I, I like what Cosmos said before when he said a mashup. I think that's, that's the kind of filmmaking I'm, I'm certainly interested in. So, yeah, if you can feel any number of emotions in the scene, whether it's laughter or, yeah, I mean, I just like to keep people on, on their toes, um, but it's very much a group effort. So, Nick, a really good example of this is the nightclub scene, which I was just con convinced was going to be some kind of minor bloodbath, and it goes in a very different direction. Yeah, um, that's, I guess that scene is quite a good example of the general uh, kind of language of the story that we try, you know, filmmaking uh, grammar that we try to apply to the story. Um, because, uh, because I guess um, on the page could be quite unsympathetic um, and he's obviously, you know, he's not talking too much and sometimes, you know, he's not very good at articulating or even knowing how he feels. Um, we, we thought the more we could limit the point of view to his and make, make sections of the story quite subjective and to sort of be in his head, um, it would just allow us to stay um, rooting for him. So like in that club scene, it, it's down to, you know, obviously the, the kind of the point of view of the camera, but also the sound design and like the, the music in the club, the diegetic sound, it's the it's it's the club that everyone's dancing the the, the track that everyone's dancing to but um, the the music in the club changes and reacts to the drama in the scene and and how um, Arm is feeling. Um, we apply things like that to try and uh, kind of communicate how he's feeling as well as you know supporting what Cosmo's doing and, and it's sort of very physical performance. Um, uh, overall, in terms of like for me, the, the biggest challenge of the film. Actually, when you when you look at it, there's a simplicity to it which I really like, and there's a there's a classical feel to the story. But actually, I found it incredibly complicated to direct, just because there, because of all these competing tones. You know, it's, there is um, a kind of crime thriller skeleton, but then there's a, a huge amount of family drama and emotion in it, and then and then the kind of slightly absurd or, or comedic. Um, moments to kind of break the tension so just trying to find a way of feeling like everything's organically moving between these things rather than it feeling like you're mixing oil and water together was um you know it just required a lot of uh, fine balancing i guess 
we've just had a whole bunch of questions coming in. I've got a couple here, one from Erica, another from Mick, asking about working with uh, Kildren, who plays Jack. Could you talk first of all, and then I'll, I'll go to the actors. Yeah, so uh, uh, Killian, um, he's, he's amazing. You know, um, five years old when we started filming, um, he had never acted before. He was just a local, a local um, boy that we found. Um, uh, uh, Nick McGinley and Shaheen Beg, our casting directors, sort of, you know, we, we, we went over the whole of Ireland looking for the right, the right boy and we found Killian. And, um, you know, the, 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 the character of Jack was out of everything in the story, it was um, the thing I was most nervous of and for me was the greatest challenge for me as a director. Um, how, how was I going to portray Jack and um, his autism in a way that was um, uh, real and authentic? Um, um, so we developed a script with the National Autistic Society from a very early stage and they were you know, really great and supportive and, and helpful. In, in developing the character as far as we could on the page. Um, but then the, their advice was we would, we would have to, we, we would not be able to work with a, a boy that young who, who was on the spectrum because of the, you know, as you'll see from the scenes there, some of them are quite distressing. So it, it became about, well, how do we, um, how do we sort of elicit that performance from Killian? Um, and actually, uh, Lenny Abrahamson, um, uh, obviously, because Element Pictures were our co-producers, they were able to put me in touch with him, and he was really helpful. Actually, we spoke a lot about how um, uh, how he worked with Jacob on on, the, on his movie Room, yep. um, and it, it, it became basically about um, breaking down the performance into little bite bite-sized chunks. Um, and to, to give this sense that he's being overstimulated by all of his senses, it was actually became a very, very simple game of, um, you know, when you try and um, stroke your stomach and pat your head at the same time, it's essentially that game, but sort of dramatized. So it would be how many, you know, in the diner scene, it would be how many, um, uh, mustard bottles can you count in the room but at the same time can you do your five times table um, or maths in your head or you know getting getting to sort of use as many uh, stimulus as possible I guess was like the base base in the performance and and then it was a, a large part of it was getting uh, Neve and Cosmo to spend as much time with him as possible and build up trust between them and build up a history together so they could feel like a real family and they could feel safe around each other to be, you know, to be physical or to shout at each other or whatever you see in the film. Uh, Neve, obviously not listening to the advice of never work with children and animals by working with both children and animals. Um, the, the same day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the scenes with, with Killian uh, that you're in are, are quite beautiful. Um, how easy did you find um, performing those scenes? I think it's I think it's easy not that it's easy to work with kids but they're they're really honest um especially about what you're doing in the scene because if if they don't believe it they'll tell you um <laughs> which is great um but yeah it was um I was uh, it was it was really really fun to work with Killian and he's I suppose it's when when you're five this is just one big game really um you know this 
this whole world with cameras and then between takes they just want to talk about football but um i think it was just maintaining uh like the research i did beforehand especially with autism ireland and just where ursula's head was at then and and just that extra pressure of being a being a parent what she felt like was a lone parent and then also the the trials and tribulations that come with a little boy that she feels doesn't have a voice and is incredibly vulnerable in that state so um yeah but what you know having nick there and having this this language that he developed basically killing was just really really helpful and also but you know you've got like it's tricky enough with when you when you have like the logistics of working out what you can shoot and everything is kind of determined on on hours especially working with kids and also horses who actually i don't think they can spend less time on a set than than a child but um <laughs> yeah we we spent uh we spent like a couple of days just like going to getting pizza and um going to like this ballpark that's one of these like soft play areas with uh, Killian and Cosmo and I think Cosby and Cosmo benefited way more out of it than, than Killian did. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It's one of the best times we've ever had. But, yeah, it was it's good. In, it's interesting with you, Cosmo, thinking about the scene in the fairground, um, which I found one of the most moving scenes in the film because you've got this huge bulk of a man who communicates through his physicality, trying to comprehend dealing with a child for whom that kind of physicality is a real problem. Uh, yeah. In terms of arms relationship with, with Jack, I, I, I guess I, I thought I knew it was important to not make it too much like a father and son because, because I thought that it would be better to sort of just treat him like my equal because then, because then um, that would, ex yeah, I, I just, I knew that, he couldn't fully recognize what a father would be to a child in a way that a father should care for their child if their child is not maybe a hundred percent because not not in a nefarious way just in the way that he just can't see it himself maybe um but yeah it was great having killian around because he uh it's not until you get older you realize the stuff that sort of well for me anyway stops you me from playing well as i did when i was younger so he's 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 obviously still in that realm at the time so he would definitely smell when something was, you know, remotely dishonest or anything like that. Dan, I want to come to you. I've got a question from Robert Del Maestro. First of all, congratulations on the film. Uh, he wants to know about where it was shot. Could you talk about the locations uh, for the film? Uh, yeah, we shot um, we shot the film in Kilkee, in in down in the west of Ireland, and then a little bit in a in a small town called Lochray, um, and also up in the mountains in Connemara. So it was all it was all on the west of Ireland, um, and splitting across three three places was um, was definitely a challenge in terms of a schedule that was was already uh, under a lot of strain but we you know when we when we went on the reckeys the first recce probably a year before we made the film we went through the mountains in Connemara um where the car chase happens and we we we'd reckeyed all over Ireland which is there's loads of stunning places um that we stopped at but when we got to the Connemara mountains Nick sort of stopped and he was like this is this is it this is where I want to make the film and uh so then from then on it became about how we could make that uh, 
how we could make that possible really and it was it was we we sort of built the shoe around around that yeah. um, and, and 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 it was really hard but they uh a lot of people seem to have responded to the car chase and those mountains and and stuff so so hopefully it was worth the, the challenges of trying to get those catering trucks up those little hills <laughs> Nick, it's, it's, it's quite interesting because you watch the film and you're not, thankfully, not seeing this very stereotypical image of the Emerald Isle. Um, can you talk about the conversations that you had with Piers McGrail, your, your cinematographer, on how you wanted this landscape and the film to look? Um, yeah, it was always kind of um, harking back to how it felt in the book, really. Um, um, you know, with Piers and also with Damien, the production designer. Uh, it became a lot of it was about finding the right locations um i remember reading the book and it feeling like this you know the town was this frontier town uh, in a western and it was under siege from the elements and the mountains and the sea and there was an isolation to it and a danger to it um but when we when we first got the option uh, to the story i went out to castle bar in mayo where uh, Colin uh, is originally from and it's where his original inspiration for the book and I arrived there and it was the friendliest place in the world there was like postmen waving at you every two seconds and cottages and um, you know hedgerows and you know happy looking uh, cows everywhere and stuff like that so I was like oh this doesn't this doesn't feel like a place where calm forces takes place so um, you know, so finding places like Connemara is important because a lot of that, you know, you have, the, you have the huge mountains, but also it's kind of bogland as well. So there's no um, farming activity or, or any sense of much human footprint. So, because we really wanted it to feel like once you leave the town, you're just in, you're in the middle of nowhere. And, and these uncles have, you know, the Joe kind of coined this phrase of like, uh, uh, isolation breeds, um, oh, I can't remember what, what, it, what it was now. Isolation breeds eccentricity and danger or something. But, um, um, so this, so the emptiness was really important. And, um, uh, but we didn't like, there's a version of this film that could have been much more sort of council estates, kind of gritty, grim. And we didn't want that. We wanted it to feel kind of epic and beautiful. and. It's, I, I definitely wouldn't say the, the film is social realism at all. Um, um, so yeah, we tried to use colour, you know, like the club, we tried to use colour and um, sound design and, and the locations and the, the design, you know, the design of a lot of the locations, we wanted it to feel a bit like a time warp, a, a town that had sort of been left behind. So a lot of the design choices were like from the 70s and 80s and 90s and to kind of give the whole feel of a kind of analogue sort of old-fashioned, slightly hard-to-place kind of feel. I've got a couple of questions regarding the editing. Um, uh, Tom Williams asked, did you experiment in the edit with the timing of the reveal that Arm doesn't toss the old fella off the cliff after all? Or was it only ever going um, uh, to be a couple of minutes of misdirection? Yeah, that was, all, I mean, not just in the edit, but actually in the script as well. It was all, I was always, I, I can't remember, Joe, if it's, if it's, um, if it's just if it's linear in the script or not, but we, we always knew it was an option of our oh, we could delay that um, a little bit because we you know how many you know is it going to be too obvious that he's going to let him go or or um, or could we hold it you know originally I think maybe in the first cut I tried to hold it until you actually arrive and 
at the farm and you know you see you see what's happened um but um so we found yeah no we we did mess around with it a lot um um but this it kind of felt it it it, it felt like um the tension wouldn't sustain as well if 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 um if you held it off too too long um you know you kind of need to be with arm and understand what he's going through but at the same time i kind of it seemed quite fun to sort of um i be misdirect people for a moment i've got a question from andy um is for probably for both you joe and and nick um was there an influence of lenny and george from of mice and men in the uh, didn't know arm relationship. Uh, to my shame, I've never read or seen <laughs> of my men, but I know. We'll, we'll edit this. You can lie. Just say yes. <laughs> and... <laughs> um, so technically, no, but it is something that that then started uh, coming up quite a lot. Um, so maybe it's just one of these, one of these things, one of these tropes that's just sort of you see it in a lot of. A lot of things that I have seen, you know, that, that was influenced by uh, of mice and men. But yeah, short answer, no, <laughs> not for me anyway. Um, and just in terms of stay with you, um, the divas creating uh, the divas, Ned Dennehy, David Wilmot, um, and Barry, amongst the others. Um, what idea you had, both you and Nick, about how you would present this clan that they don't kind of fall into sort of a trap of being yet another British criminal or British or Irish criminal gang, which they don't feel like that. They're all about family. Um, you know, it's that thing of, of uh, even your villains need to think that they're, they're the good guys and they, you know, they're, they're the heroes of the story in their mind. They're, they're protecting the family and, and, and they're protecting that not, not just in, in terms of retribution, but they're protecting the family from any further um, harm coming to them. So they need to lay down the law. That's what they've always done. And they expect Dimpna to do the same. So it's really just about following that logic all the way throughout. And then of course, just being aware of all the, all the fun villainous tropes that you can kind of sneak in there with that logic still making sense, you know, especially, especially with, um, with Ned's character, I, I try to have quite a lot of fun with the with the language of it, and it's something that Ned himself then then built built on. He added in quite a few great lines himself into that. Nick, yeah, I, I um, like I said, there, there's a kind of you know, reading the original short story as well. There there is a kind of there's an oddness and eccentricity to them that I found really. Um, uh they're quite big characters but i kind of quite like that and i liked the kind of um big fish in a small pond uh kind of far you know in, in the original short story they they just the uncles are um they're just kind of more more traditional farmers and i just like the idea of them being these sort of uh sort of gangster king, kingpins but they're sort of uh you know talking about only washing once a week and uh, looking, uh, I think Pordy in the book is described as a, a, a taxidermy fox with glass eyes. I think it's, it's, and so, you know, it's just very, it kind of created this really uh, sort of mad images in, in my mind. So um, uh, that, that, yeah, that was definitely like a big attraction to it, you know, that it wasn't, um, you know, and that's, I guess that's part of the set, you know, the, the whole setting as well, but it felt, you know, there's a, there's a familiar 
nature to the story, but I haven't seen it in, in this part of the world. Dan, I've got a question from Ed Rigg um, asking how the funding was pulled together and was there a lot of persuasion needed? Um, we had uh, we had amazing support from Film 4 um, throughout the development process um, and you know, as, I, it was as Nick, I think Nick said, you know, Nick first sent me a text in 2014, so six years ago, and we worked away. And there was a moment in time where, you know, Sam Lavender and Oli Madden at Film 4 came in and said that they felt it was, um, it was ready to go and that we could make it, you know, we, we should go for it and make it. And then from there, it was a case of um, Screen Island coming in um, via an, via an Irish co-production partner, which was Element, that came on board. So we had Element um, and Screen Island, um, and then Altitude came in to, to distribute the film in the UK and Ireland with Element, and they were part of the finance plan. And we got support from um, the RAP Fund as well, which is a Western regional fund there. So it was, you know, it was, I think, uh, financing independent debuts, and it was, you know, it, it was a challenging one. It was ambitious. It's always is always really difficult. But um, everyone loved Nick's films, and and Joe had written a wonderful script, and that really helped to to give us the momentum that you that you need you need going in. And Cosmo, um, I mentioned earlier about the your acting uh, your, your accent, sorry, um, being very impressive. But your, your physical transformation is quite extraordinary for the film. From what point did you come on board? Did, how long was it till you actually got to filming? And, and how tough was it to actually transform to... First of all, your neck is enormous in the film. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, we, we knew it had to happen fairly quickly because, I mean, I know nothing about the human anatomy or exercise. Um, but we knew that we had to get sorted quite quickly. And so... Um, I got. I started working with this dude called George, and drinking lots of shakes and eating lots. And it, it, but it wasn't that hard. But I think it's because I'm diabetic and I take insulin, and I think that insulin messes with the growth growth process of muscles. So I might have had a leg up, but I'm not sure. But it was just I like food anyway, so that was fairly easy. Food's good. Um, it's just the press ups were the problem. But um, after a while, I got used to them. Um, Cosmo's, Cosmo's playing it down, Ian. Like he moved I can himself, imagine. He moved himself to Ireland five weeks before we started shooting and stayed in accent from then until when we wrapped and he worked so incredibly hard throughout the process. We were all very lucky to have had him. Thanks for the job, Being guys. modest. <laughs> At that point, um, we have come to the end of this session. If you missed any of it or if you want someone else to listen to it, you can actually download it from SoundCloud. <laughs> Um, if you want to find out about upcoming BAFTA events, please do go to the BAFTA website where there will be details of what's coming up. Uh, thank you very much to Catherine, who's been doing the closed captioning uh, throughout the whole of this event. And well done. Well, thank well done, you Catherine. to Nick, to Joe, to Dan, to Neve, and to Cosmo for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having thank me. You. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us and remember you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.